Welcome to Create Great. This podcast series features conversations with creative people from different backgrounds, from different disciplines, and different schools of thought. Thank you for choosing to listen. This podcast is hosted by me, David Bennett, Creative Director of APX Studio and Curator of Visual, an online showcase. The best creatives will always strive to create something great, and I wanted to explore how they go about this what it means to them, their clients, and what it means to our wider society too. My guests are individuals whose work I've admired and often featured over the years on Visual. but I wanted to create this podcast to get to know the real people behind their creative work. I'll be asking questions about their own unique stories of how they got to where they are now, how much of it was perseverance and determination, or how much of it was just plain luck, and how do they go about creating something great? This is a chance to explore what drives these talented individuals or their studios to create great. Hello and welcome to the first episode. This is a totally new experience for myself and probably for Paul, but either way, we're both hopefully excited and slightly nervous. Um, So my first guest I've got to know recently is Paul Blackburn. Paul is the founder of Studio Blackburn, an international brand strategy and design studio. They inspire desire for brands and businesses that improve people's lives. I first became interested in Studio Blackburn's work when I received a typographic Euros poster many moons ago. Paul, I think I might still have it. But recently, Studio Blackburn have rebranded So Energy and their great print and digital campaign for We Mean Green, which ran for eight weeks, was used to promote the environmental benefits of rail travel during COP26. And when I posted this on Instagram, well, it got a few reactions and I'm sure... Paul and I might go there. <laughs> yeah, we might do. <laughs> we might do. Anyway, good morning, Paul. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. It's a nice sunny morning here in Blackheath, so I'm enjoying it. Yeah, it makes a change, doesn't it? So what I want to do basically with this podcast is really sort of go back to the beginning, understand you know, what your inspirations were, what attracted you to design, graphic design or design. And are those inspirations still relevant today or have they changed? Okay, well, I've been thinking a little bit about this, having been invited on the podcast. um, And you were kind enough to send through a sort of outline of some of the questions and points that we were going to talk about. And I realised that I've never, ever had anyone ask me how I first got into this and and what interested me about graphic design. So it's been quite it's been quite uh, interesting process for me to think about and I, the quick answer is I can't remember I'm too old but the, <laughs> but having having thought about it and looked back I come at, at school I was academically strong I guess and was expected to go through to sixth form college and go to university and probably if my dad had have had his way become an accountant and worked in Leeds or somewhere I don't know something like that but it never ever appealed to me um, I really loved art at school from about age 10 or 11 onwards and I can't remember why I got into it but I remember there being lots of art books lying around in the house um, and I think my dad had studied art at, at one point in his in his life and I had all these books of about cubis and phobis and so on and I used to copy the paintings so that's that's how I got into it I really liked drawing and painting we had an architect that lived next door to us and I used to draw his house and then he used to come around and draw it for me properly. And that's the first time I really got an idea that um, there was there were these professions that were in that in the world of art and design. But for me, it was 
it when I got to sort of 15, 16, I I guess it was my in my own way, it was my own little rebe- rebellion was to want to go straight to art school and not do the sixth form thing, which is right. what I did. So I, I I applied to Barnsley College of Art and Design, which um, which was brilliant. And the first thing they said when I went for my interview at 16 was, you know, that I needed to really think about the decision I was making because um, it was quite a bold one. I could go on and get A-levels if I wanted, but if I, if I went to art college, it was choosing a path quite early. But I went ahead and did it anyway, and I was really really pleased that I did and it was a really great course this they taught the the history of art and design very very rigorously and by the time I was 17 I'd I'd learned all about high-tech architecture Memphis modernism postmodernism, right and so on and so forth so it was it it was a really intense um teaching of the history of art and the history of design wow so then obviously after Barnsley you you would have hopefully got a job. I'm interested also about your sort of progression up through different studios. Yeah, I mean, I never, I, I was never that keen on getting a job. I know it sounds strange, but I went right. from I, I, I went from Barnsley College of Art to Ravensbourne. Ravensbourne at that time was in southeast London in Chislehurst, and I did my degree there. And it was the tail end of Swiss typography, and they they. Their school at that time was based on the Basel School, which had been yeah. set up in the 70s by, by Otto Eicher. So they taught the basics and Swiss typography, but they'd become influenced by postmodernists like Weingart and so on. So again, it was really informative. We, were, we used to have visiting lecturers like Dan Friedman, who made a massive impact on me. Weingart came, April Griman came. Wow. So it, it, it was the people of the time who were who were important in the late 80s in terms of graphic design globally. So I left there with a sort of understanding of modernism and you know typography on a grid and so on and so forth. Wow. That's that's an amazing lineup to have. Amazing. Yeah. April Griman, Wolfgang Rangart. I only saw him once at an ISTD talk and that 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 blew my mind when he was talking about, you know, see all, see all his lovely M's and then semicircles, and he he did that all with bent lead, not a computer. Uh, and I was like, blow that blew my mind because he put it up. You look at it and go, okay, computer generated. Then the next yeah. slide was actually it was all done out of lead, and I was like, wow, that was amazing. Yeah, he was a co- he was a complete one off. Um, Weingart, and he gave the same talk every time for years and years, by the way. I mean, if you saw him once, you'd seen everything. All right. um, but it was always interesting. He always, you know, he always did the thing with cars that he yeah. thought looked like elephants, you know. I think he was the only <laughs> person that could see the elephants. But, yeah. But, yeah. But I, think we, re- I think we all nodded, didn't we? Going, oh, yeah. yeah, I see an elephant or two there. Yeah. Brilliant. And when you look back at your career choices, what would you have done differently, if anything at all? Um, well, on a really practical level, I would have learned the software um, earlier and I'd have learned it better. I think you need to enter the industry knowing how to earn some money and knowing how to be able to produce things quickly and efficiently. And yeah. certainly at the time that I studied um, software, you, you were sort of taught the programs almost as an afterthought. I think it's differently now. But I, I certainly expect everyone who comes along to Studio Blackburn to be fluent in the specific softwares that they need to be fluent in. 
I, I resisted it for a while. I'm not sure why, but I think that um, I would have learned earlier and I would have been more of an expert so that I could just turn on a sixpence and produce work. And then the, I think the other thing that I might have done differently over the years is just learn to walk away from work and clients a little bit earlier and, and not just keep going until the bitter end with uh, on certain projects. I think I've become better at knowing when something's not going to work out. I think right. when you're, I think when you're younger, especially if you've got a bit of a work ethic, you try and keep going and get the best that you can from a job, even after it's gone slightly awry. Yeah, that's happened to us many a time throughout my career as well. Um, and yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, I bet, yeah. And in your your experience, what do you think the best part of a project is? And conversely, what do you think the worst project is, and and why? And well, the, for me, in in the position that I'm in now, mm. which I mean, I basically run a team of really talented people. So the the best part of any project is seeing something materialize out of nothing. Yeah, and it, it it it's not it's not that literal. I mean, there is something. There's a brief, or there's a feeling, or there's a direction, or a problem to be talked about. But it's it it's it, it never ceases to amaze me how people can create something visual um, from quite thin beginnings. So I I love seeing that come to life in the studio. So the best the best part of the project is also the best part of the day for me, which is around 5.30 when everyone starts sending me these PDFs that have got lots of interesting visuals in and things right. we can talk about. It's like a, it's like getting a little present at the end of the day. So I'm kind of addicted to that. I think it doesn't matter what stage of the project it is. It's just, crikey, we've managed to turn that around today and it's looking really interesting. So that's that's definitely the best part of any project for me. And it's I think it's very close to the other part of the question, which is the worst part of the project, yeah. which is briefing these things in. I mean, I feel that no amount of experience really, really covers this because when I brief a project in, there's there's usually some thoughts in my head and a lot of expectant designers waiting to do some creative work. And often it's uh, working it out as we're discussing it. But I think it's quite easy during that point to feel like you don't know what you're doing and you don't know how to brief these people. It's, you know, you've you spent so much time with the client absorbing what the situation is and what the issues are. And you haven't got a strong direction. You've got I tend to have a strong feeling about yeah. what we could talk about and where we could go with it. And I think that there's that leap in between how I see things and how are the designers going to interpret that and i think that that is quite a i mean that's obviously what clients pay for you know it's like that extra yeah. thing that happens but there's never a guarantee that it's going to happen i never feel that there's a guarantee it's going to happen yeah there is that magic moment because you know when you're in the studio it's it's wonderful you get the work up and as you as you say people send you stuff but that thing of you what you in your mind's eye think all oh, right, this is the solution. Then give it to three other designers, three total different interpretations of what you thought. All oh, right, okay. And then, then that broadens out, which I, I think is the best part of it as well. And definitely, you know, when you're back in the studio, getting that work up to talk about it. Um, I don't know about your studio, but we're very open. Uh, so we have we put the work up, and then 
even if you're not working on that project, you can still come and say, oh, that reminds me of this. Have you seen that? You yeah. know, that's that steer, steer clear away from that. Uh, you know, I, I don't think- know if you're the same. We are up to an up to a point, and actually, we've we've got an ongoing conversation about how much wall space we need, and we're trying. That's the only thing I need more of at the moment is available wall space in the studio to get work on the wall. I remember almost twenty years ago, I I worked at North for for a year just freelancing, and right. it was it was a big influence. Sean was a big influence, and he would always say that he needed to get everyone to print things out and up on the wall otherwise you can't see what people are thinking or doing and it was a really simple lesson and really important and it's it's true i think up to a point the 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 other thing about being in the studio i don't know if you get this but it it's much easier to spot things as they're happening and caught and course correct and at the same time, it's much easier to compliment people and encourage people. And so it's a huge time saver, whether it's propelling someone on towards a solution or whether it's stopping them and starting them on a different route. And I love I love that. I love being the hovering person, you know, bit looking at screens and seeing what other people are doing. Every, everyone in the studio does that and has the opportunity yeah. to, to comment. And, and we are certainly a really kind of discussive environment we try and talk about as much as we in fact sometimes i worry that we you know we spend far too much time talking and discussing and, and so <laughs> I, I, I think we've we've both read the same uh, book on uh, design studios i think we're very much the same it's like come on let's just do the work now we, you know we've got an idea go off and do it yeah it's it it's funny to when you realize that all the work usually is extremely high quality, but I think the designers sometimes don't realize that you're talking about little margins, you know, little differences when in actual fact to, the, to them, it feels like something they've been working on for a couple of days. And it's, it's a much, it's a much bigger, more, it's a very emotional thing. I think, you know, a person's connection to their work. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it, it, I sometimes try and remind myself to just say, look, it's actually all brilliant. Right. So, and it, most of this will work. So let's talk about making it that extra 10%. I'm not sure they all, that people always realize that. Yeah. Well, I think it's the curse of any creative, especially designers as well. You always do the work, then you start hating the work. And it's like, okay, walk away from it and then come back to it. You know, happens all the time, doesn't it? You're like, all right, that's great. And then it's like, well, hold on a sec. I'm not sure about that. You start doubting yourselves and... You know, you yeah. see it all over Twitter now. People are like going, oh, if you're a true designer, you, you, you doubt yourself. Maybe it's an age thing. I don't know. Well, you see also it's all over Twitter. Best not to look, <laughs> best not to look at Twitter. No, no. Go on and post something, then come off. Yeah. And um, anything bad happened, you know, home truths now, you know, is there anything the worst client has ever said to you or, you know, the best thing a client's ever said to you? And well, what, what might have been that reason? Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got lots of examples of clients saying unpleasant things to me, but, no. I, but, I, but I think that that is, I think that's to do with length of time that I've been doing it to some extent as well. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I mean, I presented ab- about 12 years ago We when I was, I was at Greenspace and I was the MD and creative director and we right. did this long project with uh, Zaha Hadid and it was to rebrand the architectural practice is a fab- fabulous project but a, a really 
tricky one to yeah. get right. And I met Zaha a couple of times, and she oh, was wow. she was everything that people say about her, you know, rude and charming in equal equal measure. But at the point where we presented the Finnish brand identity to the whole of the company, it was in that school that they designed down mm-hmm. here, down near you in Brixton. So they they launched the school and they got all the architects down there. And then Patrick Schumacher introduced me to present the new brand identity, at, at which point Zaha just came and sat on the front row right in front of me and heckled me for the entire presentation. It was bloody <laughs> awful. <laughs> so the thing... The thing she said was, uh, I can't remember why, but she really didn't like aspects of the identity and for reasons unknown to me. Um, but the, what she actually said was that she hoped that we'd got lots of money in my company uh, because she was going to sue us the week after. <laughs> I take it she didn't. I hope she didn't. No, she didn't. Oh, but it my was, God. It was, it was pretty unpleasant. But then uh, sort of 30 minutes later, I, I went up and chatted to her and uh, we were chatting about, you know, fashion and all sorts. And she was lovely. She was really nice. So I think it was, she's a super complicated client, but it, you learn something from that, you know, which is obviously not to take it, you can't help but take it personally, but not to take it to heart and just to let things settle down. And, you know, people usually... Are critical for um, reasons way beyond anything you can influence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, that's an amazing client to have. She's she's an awesome architect. I think you might have even sent me the guideline because it was the yeah. uh, newsprint, wasn't it? Is the newsprint right. the, with the metal? Uh, yeah, uh, had, clear, had, clear foil. Yeah, it had a metallic. Um, that's it. Uh, belly uh, band, slip case, belly band. Yeah, yeah. And and I think the the newspaper itself was printed. Yeah, I can't remember what they're called, but you know those companies that just print you tens of thousands of newspapers yes. overnight. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was it was a lovely job, really, and they're still using the identity. I mean, it's worked really well yeah. for them. The website was always a bit bonkers. I think it still hasn't changed, has it? No, it hasn't changed much. No, there were, there was a very good reason behind that website, which is um, prior to that, I think they'd just got a, a very very basic website with a few items on it. Yeah. And there, there was always, there was always this uh, thought around Zaha's that none of her buildings could be built. That she was a fated architect that had never built anything. But of course, as soon as you start looking at the company, you realise they're building everywhere, and they, they were really prolific. Uh, that period, fifteen years ago. Yeah. So we, we wanted to bring all that to the fore, and what we settled on this idea of a website as the like an ultimate database. So everything went on there and it still does. And it's like using a filing system, in a visual filing system. Patrick Schumacher, who we work with really closely, Lee Deverell, who was the other designer on it. Um, and Patrick was great, you know, because he's super visual. He knew what he wanted. He, he didn't kill ideas unless he di- really didn't think they were right. So um, it was a good working relationship with Patrick and he, you know, he helped us design that typeface. He knew what he wanted. You know, and we, yeah, right. they, they've got a bespoke typeface, and he was very involved in that. That's great. I'm going to actually jump back to North. What now? Yes. North, the one of those studios. You know, I always call it mystique. There's a mystique about them which is wonderful, and I was always uh, 
saw I, I always saw the RAC guideline. I don't know if you worked on that or not. No. And then I always wanted one. And then one day I went on eBay and someone took a lot of my hard-earned cash for an RAC guideline, which I absolutely – I might even get buried with it. You know, I absolutely, absolutely love it. It's, it's just yeah. like one of those design things. Um, I'd hopefully get Sean on here because um, I'd love to find out about him. So what year were you at, at North? And sort of, were there any notable projects that you still hold in high regard today? Yeah, it was 2005 to 2006. It was during a period when they were they were undergoing – quite a lot quite a bit of transition that right. to, towards what they are now that they just put Stephen and Jeremy in place as creative partners and Stephen Gilmore and Jeremy whose surname I can't remember but you know what I mean yeah I know yeah. I mean Stephen and Jeremy are both incredibly talented I mean they're brilliant to watch as designers um so sure I always thought Sean had this fantastic eye for spotting designers and and just putting together the right mix or an interesting mix and they were going from a period where they'd had a bunch of really great designers obviously like mason and tim and paul Mm -hmm. and ben who had all in the previous two years had moved on to other things and they were rebuilding i guess the shape of the company and i i was put in as a sort of experienced freelancer to look after jobs when people went on holidays and things like that I was kind of like hired help, but I also, it it had a massive influence on me because I loved the studio. I previously worked at Imagination and at Landor and other big agencies and where it was all about strategy and and making profit and so on. And I always thought when I went into North, it was just all about graphic design. It was 100% a design environment. That's to do with Sean because he just lives and breathes it. It was very influential. I won't bang on about it because I'll just embarrass Sean, and I know he doesn't like <laughs> talking about his company, um, and uh, and I I really respect that. But they've got something really magic going on, I think, and they have mm-hmm. for a long for a long long time. It's great, no. great work. Yeah, I agree. I'm, uh, there's um, uh, sort of two books I'm looking forward to: the North book. <laughs> and the cartridge levine book you know yeah and i'll buy both co- you know i'll buy both copies three times it's just it's gotta happen it's gotta happen brilliant all right so thank you for that so quick fire round this is a little bit of a time to that we can relax we're doing doing really well so i'm just gonna ask you a few questions yeah uh, two answers just got to choose one okay here we go coke or pepsi coke apple or android oh apple without a doubt bbc or netflix BBC. Radio 4 or Radio 6? Radio 4. Yeah, I agree. Universe <laughs> or Helvetica? Helvetica. And, I, and, I, and, and I'll, I'll, um, I've argued the toss on that one with Bruno uh, from uh, Dalton. Uh, Dalton Marg for hours upon hours. And, and he's got all the arguments as to why Universe is a superior font. And I agree with all of them. But I just prefer Helvetica. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, same here. And then the last one, salt and vinegar or cheese and onion? Cheese and onion. Interesting. Interesting. All right, we're going down the pub when, we're, when, we're, when we can. All right. So sort of going into the last section now, really, you know, uh, so this whole podcast is called Create Great. Uh, Create Great is the OPX mantra. 
it speaks to our ambition creatively. So, you know, it's something we were looking at, especially during this sort of lockdown, um, where how can you keep and maintain that high level of work whilst sitting in your bedroom or wherever you are, because you're, mm. you're, you're miles away from it, everyone. So that thing of, you know, what we do is create great, you know, everything we have to do is, is great for us and also for the client, which, you know, has raised that creativity in, in the bar and everything else. Uh, so what things actually motivates you and what's your sort of greatest moment you can remember and that sort of had lasting impact? The thing that motivates me is part of the same thing, which is I want to create a body of work that is substantial and meaningful um, and is my mark on the world, I guess. And the way that I've found to do that is with a team of very talented people that can create things at the pace that I want to create things and for the type of clients that I want to do it for. I think ultimately I want to live in a visually beautiful world. I mean, I sometimes joke that, you know, I want to walk down the high street and everything be designed by us, you know, so it's like my yeah. world that I've created. Yeah. And But I, I think that that's innate. You know, I think if you're a designer, if you're creative, you are always thinking about, that type of thing how to make things more interesting more beautiful more more challenging and so on it's a really rich area to be in in that sense and it is i think psychologically it can tip you over the edge at times you know i think when you walk down the street you know and you you feel like bringing telling the local gardeners how to do the hedges and things like that you you know you, you're not far off people in white coats coming for you but you've got to be <laughs> but I, I think that's the natural mindset and then the, the the other thing is I'm just naturally competitive and it's taken me almost 30 years to realize that right that I, I want to win you know I, I go into pictures and meetings and I really do want to want to win and I want us to be the best and so I think that married with trying to make things look and feel the way I want them to is is the thing that motivates yeah. me and in terms of um, sort of greatest moments i mean when i left i left green space and i set up studio blackburn and i had all these covenants in my contract from green space and i couldn't approach anyone and all this nonsense and i built studio blackburn from nothing really i didn't have any clients it was me at, you know 40 in my early 40s back in my bedroom with a mac but within six months, I'd won a, I'd won a pitch with the city of Sunderland to do a inward investment campaign. And I remember, I remember that. I remember getting the call. I was on a train platform from the client saying that they wanted to work with us. And that, that was like a real moment, you know, where it was, it wasn't a huge, huge job compared to ones I've done before. Oh, wow. It was Studio Blackburn, you know. Would, we were we can we can do this i can do this without anyone else you know i can just lead it and and win work so that was a real that was a real confidence booster yeah it's the, the dreaded pitches isn't it i mean you know there's the oh should you do it shouldn't you do it and it's oh if you don't do it someone else is going to do it so it's it's, it's the uh double-edged sword isn't it but well done doing that and once you won that pitch was that you know, was it pretty much you by yourself? Or was this actually, I need to expand a team now and actually yeah. bring bring a, a few freelancers in or experts? Uh, I did that pitch with, with three freelancers. Uh, there's a guy called Sam Moffat who then became creative director. And uh, I think a couple of, there were a couple of others 
who had worked with me at Greenspace that were involved in that pitch. So I, I was always going after work and working with freelancers who I really liked. And then as soon as we won that job, not long after we won the job to rebrand Sage, which is a big job, you know, global rebrand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for that, I, I then built the company with, um, with an account director and with guidelines specialist and so on and so forth, because it was, it was, it was sure. a much bigger deal. So that, that took two to three years to go from me in my bedroom to having a, a global client. You know. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we spoke when we were on the phone probably this time last year about the whole new business thing. I mean, that's the poison chalice, isn't it, for any studio, no, no matter how big or small. And we've been fortunate to win a lot of stuff on our sort of reputation. I'm not sure if that's the same for you or you actually, you know, your approach to it would be interesting to know. It's just beginning to happen for us. We're, we are getting approaches from people and we, we're really having to research why they're approaching us and they've yeah. they've seen our work in places and it's they've seen there are very specific pieces of work like the work we've done for Pinter recently has created yeah. lot, lots of interest the work for so energy um yeah. s- similarly so that that's been really interesting but what i've built new business on really is fantastic collaborators who like our work so we've initially it was a woman and I still work with her called Molly Watson, who's a communication specialist yeah. who does who, whose work stops at the point where ours begins, if you like. Yeah. So Molly was a great source of connections and work and introductions and continues to be. More recently, Jemima, Jemima Bird at Hello Finch, who is a, an acting CMO, if you like. She does lots. I mean, she's multi-talented. Yes. She really loves our work and really likes working with us. And that's a really nice you know really nice relationship um and we're very lucky to have someone like that so there's always been people like that who like our style i guess and like like me and feel comfortable introducing me to to clients and in meetings so i think in the main part our work has grown in that way by knowing people doing good work letting them introduce us to the next person and so on and so forth yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's a learning in that somewhere. I mean, I think there are there are brands and companies and people that are looking for really good agencies and that the link is the problem. You know, it's like who's making those links and running a competition is a really blunt instrument, I think. I think it's a really, for, for a lot of clients because um, it puts you under, puts agencies under duress and you, you're never comparing apples with apples. Yeah. It's impossible for it to be like that. Yeah. It's a, it's a pain, isn't it? You know, <laughs> especially when, when you've got so many hoops. We're currently yeah. going through something where I think we've jumped through six hoops out of eight, and it's like, come on, come on, let's, let's yeah. go there. We're ready now. Yeah, brilliant. And just back to some of the questions, you know, obviously, what sort of advice that you've held on to from the, the past, which you might have passed down or still use today? It'd be interesting to know. If there's anything that someone might have said to you many years ago and you go, actually, that resonates with me today or these years later. Well, there was something that you touched on actually earlier, which is this idea of just stepping away from projects at particular times. And Adrian Caddy, who was my business partner for five years, Adrian's got lots of advice about lots of things but but one thing that he would say a lot is you know let let's let the world turn 
And I think it's a really simple phrase, especially if you're under pressure and a client is asking for a certain thing, or if you're doing something and it's not working. And I say it a lot at work, you know, just let's let the world turn. Let's come back tomorrow and look at it afresh because the, the last thing we need to be doing is dealing with it in a, whatever it is in this sort of state of anxiety that we're all in this afternoon, or, you know, let's just go away and do something else, forget about it and come back. So I think let the world turns a nice little simple one that everyone could do with learning. People should learn to do that just before they go on Twitter or Insta and start, <laughs> start criticizing. Yeah. No, definitely. And um, yeah, Adrian's yeah. I've, you know, LinkedIn with him. He's just sent me the new green space, um, 21 silver linings, which is, or 20, I can't yeah. remember. It's downstairs. Re- yeah. Really great. He, he seems really, um, on the ball. And I really love that saying that the world turn. Yeah. I think that's, that's a lovely thing. Let's end on that whole, we mean green campaign, the Instagram, you know, I suppose I am a conduit to all this nonsense because with the visual, I, post things and people like them but then sometimes that those floodgates open up where people interpret things without actually reading what it's about yeah i mean it's a it was an interesting one when we did it and we conceived it we weren't 100 percent sure about it to be honest we'd done when i worked with adrian this was like almost 15 years ago we did a we did something for honda formula one they did this thing where they they liveried their race car in a map of the earth. It was called the earth car. And it was, it was definitely greenwashing. I mean, it was a forerunner to all this. It was them trying, yeah. to, trying to get in on, in on it early. Um, but we, we proposed to them turning the Honda logo green instead of red, you know, and we got a clip around the ear for it. So when, when we got this brief in from the rail delivery group, you know, it was a really detailed four page brief. They're a client that were very conscious that they could be accused of greenwashing. They wanted to do something around COP26. They fervently believe, and backed up by data, that rail travel is better for the environment than car travel. I mean, that's a no-brainer. I don't think anyone would really argue with it. And they were desperate to come across as as authentic as they actually are. Mm -hmm. So we came up with that line, we mean green, which suited everyone. It was true. They could, you know, they could definitely stand behind it. And we turned the logo green. It just felt like the obvious thing to do. And what people seem to have forgotten is that that logo has been turned different colours before in the past. M and C Archie made a multicoloured version of it sort of six or seven years ago, and that became a a national campaign. So. so it wasn't it wasn't like we were the first ones to do it also it was an eight-week campaign so it was like well let's turn the logo some beautiful shades of green for eight weeks yeah 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 i I liked one of the comments about how can you animate it it's like well actually the shades of green do help you create levels of animation it's just it's just bizarre what goes through your mind when that happens do you think oh christ or do you think i'm just uh let the world turn (laughs) yeah well yeah there's that phrase only it only helps, only goes so far. <laughs> the the initial concern was for my designers because some some of them yeah. are. I remember what I was like when they when I was their age. You know, they're so emotionally connected to the work, their friends, their peers, and everyone is looking at what they're doing, and suddenly they're the centre of a of of a pretty nasty pylon. So it, yeah, exactly. it's um so 
we spent 24 hours just trying to calm everyone down and not say anything and just not reply to anything, which is what I think you should do anyway on, on, on these things. Yeah. But of course, the funny thing was, 24 hours in, Mark Ritson put an article up saying how much he liked it. And suddenly everyone liked it. You know, it was like Twitter, it was like a pile on of, of prayers. So, so this, the, yeah. you know, there's a bit of me that just finds that really amusing. And it just makes you realize how pointless a lot of this stuff is. But what happened was it got put on Design Week, I think. And I've chatted to Design Week about this since. Um, they do this Vox Pop thing where they just right. show something to a designer and say, what do you think of this? Okay. And that, that was done very quickly. And it was the designers that went, there was, um, well, you can go and find it online if you want, but they weren't very considered responses. And I think that the younger the designer that gets asked, the more vociferous they are, or the more, the more mm -hmm. critical they are, because it's, I mean, I might be wrong about this, but it just feels like probably, you know, it's their first bit of attention. It's the first time in the spotlight. They've got to say something. They can have a moan and they can make a bit of a splash for themselves and then promote themselves around social. And what I chatted to Design Week about afterwards was the fact that I think it's slightly irresponsible of Design Week in a way, you know, and they've changed their policy now as a result of this conversation. Oh, well because, because I think they're yep. just they're setting young designers up to fail, you know. I said, look, these people these people have had a right go. I'm I'm very unlikely to ever give them a job now or to, you know, or to collaborate with them. They're in their twenties. They've yeah, you know, it's it's you need to set the context much better. And I think, you know, we had quite a back and forth with Design Week and hopefully I think it's helped raise the level of debate a little bit. Because it needs to be raised. I mean, graphic design, branding. I mean, where'd you go to learn out, learn learn anything about it, yeah. or to observe an interesting discourse? You know, hopefully, hopefully, come to this podcast, obviously. But you know, but it, there's no. I think strategy. You know, brand strategy. That people are talking about that pure graphic design. People are talking about that. But this sort of in between bit, where graphic design meets marketing meets brand strategy, there isn't anywhere that's really leading the charge on intelligent debate and intelligent discourse my opinion yeah yeah it's all so often just you know knee-jerk reactions to things and people got to realize that this is not like it's done then it's like hand over there's you know iterations there's refinements there's things there's there's conflict there's d discussion yeah. you know it's not just da da it's like Thanks for your comment, but we've done that already with a, a, a paying client who's believes in us, and that's why we're doing it. It's always going to be open up to different things, and the, mo the more people you bring on that journey, that's better, but it's hard when it's a, a design community that are just going to react to it because they don't like the colour or the shape or yeah, something. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely, over the last few years as well, I've, I've seen it happen to other people, and... And I've contacted even people that I don't know. I've contacted who who were the guys that did the BT rebrand two or three years ago? Um, I've forgotten their oh. names. Yeah, we'll have to Google but that. I, I can they, they suffered a similar fate on day one, and I contacted them and just said, "Look, you know, just ignore it, and it'll all settle down." And it did, you know. And it it stems from the la the last time I saw Sean Perkins was just after the. Uh, 
just after the Science Museum rebrand. And uh, right, I and 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 it was really funny because he's really funny, Sean. You should get him on. He's really. Oh, he, I want to. I want to. He's really good value. And he said that he said that it was awful when um, uh, when that got criticised, you know, and, and there was a massive Twitter pile on, and it was all to do with. Is it Michael Johnson? I always forget his name. That's correct. Yeah, Michael Johnson. I I, I believe that Michael Johnson apologised uh, a, a few days afterwards about for the reaction. And I I'd said to Sean, right. when we're having coffee. And I said, oh, I really admired the way that you handled it. And of course, you know, it turned out he was he was furious when it happened, but he was slightly he was distraught as well because he was with the client, and he said the client was distraught. Yes. And he said I was having to explain to the client that that this was all wrong, that the, all these people were wrong and that they should just hold their ground. And I think it's things like that. People just don't realize what they're doing when they pile on with all this criticism. So, so you should get that story from Sean because he tells it really interestingly. But ever, ever since then, whenever I've seen it happening, I've contacted people and just, I mean, James, James Grenfeld or Greenfield at, at Curto. Curto. Um, I've contacted him a couple of times, you know, because he's, I always think it's funny because he replies to people on Twitter. I think, God, how have you got the time? How have you got, <laughs> have you he's got, got the tough time skin. to do it? Yeah, you've got a tough skin. There ought to be some, um, it's not camaraderie, but I think there ought to be some synergy between agencies that is aimed at holding the ground that, that we're all occupying, you know, because it's better for all of us. Yeah. And things, the discourse won't improve until we all try and make it improve. Yeah, totally. What I've learned over the years, no one's ever said it to me, is that just don't piss people off because design community yeah. is so small. It is unbelievably small. And you will go and work somewhere and someone will be like, oh, didn't you work with X, Y, and Z at something? You're like, yeah. And you're thinking, right, have I upset them? What do they think of me? Yeah. Amazing how how insulin you know it's so oh, it's just so yeah. small it's so small crazy but yeah i remember when um i featured sean's work for the australian yeah. museum which is fantastic and straight away you know what why is the uk-based agency working on a that's right massive melbourne art thing which is understandable but they're great at what they do you know yeah. they're probably the right people for the for the job but yeah i'd love to get i'd definitely love to yeah. get him on you know just just see what he looks like I've got no idea what he looks like. You like research him. He's like, no idea. He's a mystique. But um, brilliant. I think, you know, it's been brilliant. Thank you for this, Paul. I mean, well, uh, <laughs> the maiden voyage, and we haven't sank like the Titanic. Oh, so yeah, let, well, I hope, see it, what I hope it works. There was something, that, there was a couple of other things. Shall I keep going? Go on. Yeah, yeah. Um, keep keep on rolling. You said about, about the best thing that's that's been said to me and why. And, I remembered, and I, I don't know if this happens to you, but it, it happens to me sometimes. I'm so focused on winning the work and keeping the work and then sort of directing the work mm-hmm. that I forget to tell people that they're doing really good work. And I went out for uh, dinner once with this woman called Katie Taylor, who was my creative director at Greenspace. And and she said she, she said that people love it when... I come in and compliment work that's on the wall. She said, all the designers really love it when you get involved and say stuff. And I was like, oh, Christ, I've got no idea. And no one tells you the good things 
when you when you're the boss you know no one tells you that you're doing the right thing or that what you did was good yeah and i think it's important to remember that it's quite an unusual pursuit i think being running a small company because you're quite exposed a lot of the time but there's a lot of people relying on you and i think it's you forget just what a positive impact you're having or or you can have on people's lives so i, th I think trying yeah. to communicate with staff and tell them you know encourage them in the right directions is really valuable but somehow you need to you you need some you need feedback from it you know you need to see people grow and you need to see people do the right thing yeah how many people are at studio blackburn now there are eight of us right nice and small i've i've got a theory of seven which is that i think you should go up in blocks of seven if you're growing a company and this okay this this sort of dates back to when i worked at landor um, in the early days and I, no, no matter what size client came to Landor and they were all massive clients, they got a team of seven, you know, it's like a creative director, mm -hmm. design director, a couple of seniors, account manager, project manager, and a bookkeeper. And, and I think it's, I think you can handle any job as a team of seven. And I think if you get another big job in, you put another team of seven on it. Ah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Is that something you'd do? So if you want a big job, you'd scale up with seven or would you scale up with, <laughs> would you, yeah, I don't... <laughs> I'll put you on the spot now. No, it's a, it's a really good question. I mean, when, when we scaled up very quickly at Greenspace um, and then we scaled down quite quickly as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I don't know what I would do now. I'd probably be a lot more careful, but I think it's more of a, I think it's just something to bear in mind, you know, that at the point at where you're feeling stretched, you probably do need to, it's, it's not always a case of just adding in one or two others. It's a case of, right, what do we need to serve that client? Yeah. Architects do this really well. Like I, I now witnessed it at Zaha's, you know, when they would literally rent a floor somewhere for a project team. And that would be the project team for a building that they were designing somewhere yeah. in the world. But it must be hard getting the dynamics, especially with a creative agency and as the creative director over it, you know, making sure that – are they randoms? Are they trusted designers that, that yeah. you know and stuff? is could go horribly wrong otherwise. I think the dynamics are everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's really tricky and it's never static. It's never – you know there are there are better times than other times, but I think um, I think it does change all the time. Yeah. We have a lot of fun at the moment. I must say, I think that shouldn't be underestimated either. Just having people in the studio yeah. who are who are interesting and fun and challenging, and you want to look forward to going into work because you're going to have a you're going to have a nice time. You know, you're going to have a good crack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think maybe that's what I was wanting when I was 15. You know, that rather than a conventional career this I, I chatted to uh you know lee maudsley have you worked with lee? oh yeah we know lee yeah yeah, yeah. great well I, I i yeah it's absolutely brilliant i went to visit him in his little perky studio in london bridge which i think he still keeps yes and we were, we were just sat there having a cup of tea talking about what we were going to do in the future and and the, he said to me he said he said this is brilliant he said look at us he said, it's brilliant we're just sitting here having a cup of tea and it's 11 o'clock in the morning and do what we want Yes, and and there's that's the pay, that's the upside of it of this life, if you like. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm at home now. I can do what I want now for the rest of the day. I've got to do the work at some point, but I can organise my life. You know, 
yeah, the yeah. way that I, the way that I want it to be. And I think I would I don't think everyone's cut out for that. But I think when I was 20, I knew that I was cut out for this to lead a studio. I'm a much better leader than I ever was as a sort of junior or a senior. You know? Right. And are you back at the studio now? What's the policy? Yeah. 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 We're it's five days, or are you still yeah, hybriding? No, we're we're in. Anyone can be in as much as they want to be, and the majority are in every day. Um, there's one or two for whom travel's a bit more of a of an issue. Yes. But everyone's trying to get in, and everyone wants to be in, which yeah. is really nice. You know, yeah, they yeah. want to be in and and working together. Yeah. It, there is there is a, you know that dynamic connection kind of thing, and as you say, sort of remembering back from when we first started talking that thing of catching things yeah i dreaded this lockdown when it was like send me something is like i've had to wait three hours where in the studio i would have caught that early and gone no yeah you know i have found it slightly difficult purely because of that engagement not being there yeah i might be wrong i I suspect you're more of a creative director than i am when lockdown started it was very easy for me because i'm so used to traveling with my laptop mm-hmm. so whether it's traveling to business meetings or just traveling generally i i just get somewhere open my laptop look at the pdfs feedback i'm very familiar with that way of working and i've always had someone in the studio directing things so for me this this has been very familiar working at home you know people sending me things hasn't been a problem i imagine from what you're saying that that with you, you you're creatively directing everything i mean i have a creative director you know, yeah, who, yeah, yeah. Who, who runs the work yeah it, very much so i think that yeah i think you've sort of hit the nail on the head just just seeing it and i tell you what missed that printer so we years ago <laughs> we, we we invested in an a1 printer for when you get you? yeah yeah fantastic it's yeah. it's been brilliant so you know when we do client presentations massive a1s just yeah. getting it on and we're working with a, a new client who actually came in for a face-to-face and it's lovely you see it on instagram where there's like there's a quick things of me doing this putting the putting the boards up on the opx yeah. instagram they came in and just to see the face and the reaction was just like oh this is what it was like this is just so nice and just the scale of it because it's great looking yeah. at stuff on screen you know but the actual scale of how an identity can manifest itself across whatever it is and it's like a huge thing in front of them and like yeah. just get it and it's just like yeah you know it's kind that of sounds really good yeah, yeah I, that's, fun. that's what i love that's what i love yeah. just seeing that i'd like i'd like to come and see that i might send you some things to print out <laughs> they're, they're eight pounds for it no 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 no, 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 no it's brilliant it is is a yeah. really good um just a big inkjet plotter kind of thing and yeah. it's it's amazing we've had it and we use it for everything and you know sometimes we've given clients the work rolled it up and they take it back so oh, they can then great. put it up in their their office so then people can see what's going on as well and you know yeah. some of the old sheets we keep up and we can reprint stuff out so when a client comes in there's a, like a, almost like a gallery of work and then all right you're into the meeting room yeah. let's talk but um oh this has no, been brilliant this is, i've really enjoyed good. this this is there's one there's one more thing Go on. i'm assuming that people if people do listen to it i assume let's assume they will well, I, I, I hope so Russell. we're in a very small pond <laughs> assuming that there'll be young designers and so on yeah there was something about resourcefulness that i wanted to just mention Go on. I, I i went through a period of I don't know if this happens to you, but suddenly you, you'll start getting PDF portfolios sent from a graduate at 
at a particular college and then you'll get lots more if you reply you'll get lots more from that college all at once yeah it's like they talk amongst each other which is you know completely understand and they tend to send the same standard letter they just change the name yep and i went through this period of of that happening quite a lot to the point where i just thought i cannot i can't tell who's good and who isn't you know and i got a few we started getting approaches from ecal the in lausanne mm-hmm. who were all really great really yeah, great designers fantastic. and all, all their work was really really great and i i got this i got one it was like the sixth or seventh one from from this girl as she was then this was sort of 15 years ago and and I just emailed back to her, and I think I was really tired or annoyed. And I said, "Yeah, this is it's, it looks great, but how would I know? You know, like how? Why are you any better than all your friends that are sending me PDFs?" And she emailed me straight back, like within a minute. And she said, "Give give me twenty four hours." And this was in the days before people were doing websites all the time. You know? Yeah. And she just spent the next twenty four hours building a photo essay of why we should employ her. She went off around Lausanne, dressed herself up. You know, did made posters, put them on the wall, created a website, and 24 hours later, I got a, an email from her that wow. just said, "Click here." So I clicked, and it opened up, and she took. It was a website, and I just clicked through, and she told me all these things about herself and why we should employ her. So we did, and she was brilliant, and she's brilliant now, you know. And um, the difference is resourcefulness, I think, because lots of people are great. So yeah. how, you know, how, how can you think on your feet? And how can you do something that's going to be yeah. meaningful or different or or that someone's going to remember? And that, that's what I look for all the time in staff is is resource. That's that's the thing. You know, how resourceful are you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very true. The yeah. the you know, nowadays everything's on a mock up portfolios look very similar, you know, certain colleges do produce the same work. I mean, probably it's the same when I was at L C P we all had we all had our work but what's interesting i think is that even if i look back on my work from lcp when i graduated in 94 it may not have been the best or you know the most cutting edge but there's an attitude behind it there's something that was like all right this is what i stand for and i sometimes lose that nowadays with um you know folios it's like okay yeah it's just yeah graphic design you know it, it is it's like yeah but what's your stamp on it because your, your stamp is what will define you as a designer or or a creative not just uh, oh this is a trend yeah. i'm now going to yeah, do totally that kind agree. of thing who who were your tutors at lcp were you, did you have dave dabner yeah dave dabner so 92 to 94 yeah. is under david dabner who fantastic you know when you look back at the what you learn you know is all that hand rendering 12 point yeah. Baskerville, you, you're sitting there going, "What have I done?" Kind of thing. Oh, this is. Great. But it teaches you about the character, and then you go down and do the yeah. hot metal and things like that, and it, that real understanding. And then I'll try and get him on. Actually, Mark Holt, I had him back yeah. in the studio a few years back from HBO, come in and talk. And then one day, a friend of mine, Ben Tappenden, an amazing designer, who sat next to me, it was almost like, "Have a look at this," and it was like an HBO. And I remember going down, and I've still got it to the photocopier room and photocopying every spread and then yeah. stapling it together. And I've got the photocopy of that. And that was it. I was like, if I could emulate this, yeah. I'll be happy, you know? And that for me was the, that was the switch going. That's, that's the, that's it. That's what I want to do. Interesting. What, what was it? Because it's so influential that 8VO work. What, what, what was it in your opinion about it? 
I always remember two things. Mm. I always thought it was the Helvetica. Then I was at a studio called Thumb. Tim Webb Jenkins was like, it's Unica. Yeah. And I was like, what's Unica? Like going on to font shop Unica and actually buying the font going, I now hold the font of of 8VO. But I think it was all that layering up and just, just the use of space and the, the, the sort of boldness of type and just to, to celebrate yeah. it after doing 12-point Baskerville and going – oh, actually, we can turn this up now and actually be a bit more playful. Because when I was at college, you had to book a computer room and it was like, was it a quad 400 or something like that and a floppy disk? And it was just like crazy to what you can do now at unis and stuff. An old old friend of mine, Paul Paul Winter, who you might know, he's he's a print rep now, but he he is a really great designer. He worked for 8VO briefly. I think he was their first or second or only employee. And he said on the first day, Hamish came and handed him a floppy disk with all the all the preferences for the uh, typefaces <laughs> on it. He said he realised that he was like in those days it was like gold dust, you know. They'd done all the That's right, yeah. and everything. Quark Express, yeah, which was great. But I um I I could never like I I know Mark a little bit, and obviously I've seen Mark and Hamish talk. And when I was at Ravensbourne was the period when all the magazines were coming out one after the other, and everyone of course loved it you know my tutors who know jeff white for oh, instance, wow. was, yeah. was featured in the, in the second one and peter ray was featured so it was a it, it was around me all the time but when i met them i could never understand how two people with those sort of quiet personalities could create this really you know exuberant mm-hmm. work and it wasn't until a few years ago I saw them give a talk with the other original founder, Simon, Simon Johnston, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And and he's the one, he was, he was really charismatic, I thought, when I saw him talk on, on stage. And it sort of started to make sense, you know. They've, they were a weird mixture, a very British sort of outlook combined with this sort of international exuberance of Simon. I thought Simon was... It all made sense. After ah, interesting. I've never, I've never seen him speak. I've seen the other two speak, and yeah, as I said, we actually got Mark into the studio, which was amazing. I was a bit yeah. of a fanboy still, am, and he's. I think everything I get from him, I go, "Can you sign it?" And he's signed the book, <laughs> signed the posters. He's yeah. like um, online archive of his work. Fantastic. Yeah, oh, brilliant. I know Tim Webb Jenkins quite well. Ah, oh, great. Yeah, I worked with him at Williams and Poir for a while, and uh, I've kept in touch. I was chatting to him recently, actually. Oh, great. Yeah, he's, he, he was amazing. He was my creative director back at Thumb. He was, he was really good. Yeah, still see him now and then. He's, he hasn't changed a bit, has he? Yeah. He doesn't change, Tim, no, not at all. Was, was Richard Colborne there? No, days? I don't think so. I don't think so. Might have been before my time. I'm not sure. Yeah. Great. Yeah. No. Cool. Well, believe it or not, we've spoken for about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> we've probably got about 20 minutes of, of something, but honestly, Paul, it's been brilliant. And, you know, thanks so much and every success for, you know, and we definitely go out for a beer. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for asking me. And I hope that, um, I hope that it's been useful and uh, best of luck with it. I hope that this becomes a thing for you. I'm sure it will. Brilliant. All right. Thanks a lot, Paul. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I look forward to you coming back for the next one. If you'd like to find out more about OPX and how we create great, then check out opx.studio. And if you'd like some daily inspiration in your life, then do visit visuel.co.uk. 
And if you enjoyed this episode, head over to Spotify and give us a follow. 